Welcome to another exciting show with me. This is your Vance, the host for tonight. And yeah, we are Kopi with Vance. And uh, today we're going to talk about a little bit on um, psychology. That's right. Uh, this is one of the very famous or rather the most uh, popular topic to talk about because in our previous uh, Kopi event shows, uh, you have noticed that there's a lot of responses. So we decided to bring in an expert again with me today. My guest is just waiting at the backstage. But before that, uh, tune in uh, with Facebook, LinkedIn, and we are also at YouTube as well. And best part, you can also listen to our podcast at Apple Podcast and Spotify. So without any further ado, I'm going to invite my guest speaker, Dr. Anita Asudani. Hello, doctor. How are you there? I'm good. Hi, Vans. Thanks for having me here today. It's my pleasure to have you here with Kopi with Vans. But are you having your coffee with you right now? Oh, I don't have coffee. I have some water. Maybe. <laughs> it's okay. We shall have our coffee one of these days. Thank you, doctor, for joining me at um, Kopi with Vance. And I know today we have a topic to talk today, which is responses to trauma. But before that, um, we jump into the questions that we have or our audiences may have. Um, you want to do a quick introduction about yourself, uh, doctor? Sure. My name is Hanita. And I work as a clinical psychologist. So I've worked as a clinical psychologist for, for many, many years. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to sh say how long in case you figure out my age. Okay. Um, so it's <laughs> um, okay. more than a decade. So, um, so what I do as a clinical psychologist is I work with people who are having a hard time, feeling anxious, stressed, depressed. And we work together by talking about these difficulties. And then we form a plan. And after a period of time, people start to feel a bit better, a bit calmer, um, and just generally feel, um, I think, a greater sense of well-being. So, Jamie, that's what I do as a psychologist. Right. So, probably you've uh, been a psychologist for more than 15, 20 years? Not 20 years. Uh, maybe 14, 15 years. Okay. <laughs> so, we can roughly gauge the age already. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor, um, for that uh, lovely uh, introduction. But of course, the viewers who are tuning in today right now are locked in with us. Uh, you can actually hear them at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook as well. So, Doctor, we are going to jump into the questions right now. Um, when we say responses to trauma, but what is a trauma really is? Yeah, that, that's, you know, a really important question. So, Trauma is any event that will overwhelm the ordinary human adaptation to life. So what that means, right, is that it can be a single event or a multiple event wherever you feel like your safety, your autonomy, your life, or even like your limbs are at threat. It can be something that you experience directly, or it can be something that you witness happening around you or other people that you care about. So let me just give an example, right? An example of a single event trauma may be if you're a victim of a crime, let's say somebody stole your bag or you were molested in the train or a victim of an upskirt video. You know, that, that is an example of a single event trauma. Multiple event traumas, right, uh, can be single events that happen sporadically over time, but usually it's something that happens over a period of time such as, you know, um, growing up with very punishing parents to punish you until you, you have injuries, which is considered child abuse, domestic abuse, or if you're a child, you're being groomed for sex by an uh, older relative. can be things like workplace stress, you know, things like that. These are all examples of trauma. Right. So, Doctor, I mean, whatever that happens during the childhood, a trauma, can it be with the person till his last breath, affecting him? So if so, what you're asking is, let's say if somebody undergoes, let's say trauma as a child, will that affect yeah. them? You know, as an adult, you know, till they're older adults. It, it really depends. So the thing with trauma, right? I think that's one of the myths that if you undergo trauma, that's it. This is going to be with you forever. Mm -hmm. Um. It, it may stay with you for a long time, especially if it's not processed properly or there's no place that is safe. However, as human beings, we are very adaptable and resilient. When we go through something that overwhelms us, we want to grow from it. You know, so 
it might be that the person um over the period of time when there are more resources than adult learn different ways of coping with what happened to them as a child right you know, doctor, this is a bit of a, like a like a memory storage, or can I say that? Uh, rather, can I say that? Is it something that we can't just forget about it? You know, you know, I oh, I forget about what has happened. Is that something that as simple as it can be, or is it trauma means it's really something serious we are talking about here? Yeah. So unfortunately, we don't forget because trauma, like I mentioned, is something that overwhelms our ordinary human experience is something that above and beyond our human experience but you know what let me just explain a little bit uh, what happens in our brain uh, during traumatic events so there's this part of our brain is an almond shaped structure in our brain in our temporal ropes over here it plays a very important role in processing trauma this is known as the amygdala so what the amygdala does it helps us to interpret emotional responses particularly those related to fear and threat so amygdala is kind of our, our kind of thing that protects us, okay? So in the face of trauma, the amygdala will trigger this response, and I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, the fight or flight response. Right. Yeah, so this is the response that happens that triggers the stress hormones, like adrenaline, and prepares our body for survival. However, when there's trauma, right, the amygdala... So what the amygdala does, right, also is in our brain, it will communicate to the other parts of our brain to help us. Um, so for example, uh, it will communicate with the front part of our brain, which is called the prefrontal cortex. That's usually used in uh, planning, mm -hmm. uh, processing things, uh, emotional regulation. However, when there's trauma, the amygdala is kind of, you know, really firing and the communication to the prefrontal cortex is disrupted. So what happens is then the trauma is kind of stored in a very vivid and emotionally charged way. That often is the thing that then causes the, the difficulties later on. Mm, Does that wow. make sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're trying to understand how the human body works, but rather the human brain, you know, works. But it's 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 a it's 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 quite a pleasure, or rather not a pleasure, it's a, lots of information to understand here. But what exactly is happening to us or to our brain or how we think, the thought processes and so and so on. But we're going to have an interesting conversation with you, Doctor, today. Um, but what are the some common responses to trauma that will have imprint um, with a person or, you know, somebody has uh, caused some abuse, that kind of uh, situation? Or is it something, something that is very memorable, like a death? Also could be a trauma? Yeah, yeah. So trauma can be like a death, it can be something that you go through, it can be the loss of a friendship, it can be many things. As long as it, it kind of overwhelms your your, your uh, usual experience, wherever you feel powerless, that can be uh, kind of experienced as a trauma. So right. remember, trauma is an abnormal event. Okay, so whatever responses we have are normal responses to these abnormal events. Okay, so the responses that I'm going to share are not abnormal in any way. They're not wrong. They're not weird. These are normal responses. Okay, so let me let me go back to talking about the fight flight response because that's how our amygdala works. So uh, let me use an example. Like in, in olden times, it, when we were cavemen, you know, this was uh, still working. So imagine that you're a caveman and you are going to encounter a saber-toothed tiger. So your body needs to react very quickly. Right. So the first thing that happens, you notice, is your heart rate starts increasing. Dig, 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 right? And why does our heart do that? Mm, anxiety. Uh, we are preparing for warm-up to run fast or to fight, like what you mentioned. Exactly. So our heart starts beating fast because it needs to quickly circulate blood, oxygen, sugar, glucose to our lungs, to our brain. Because as humans, we don't have weapons, right? We don't right. have claws, we don't have sharp teeth. Uh, maybe if you keep long fingernails, maybe. Um, yeah. But we don't have these weapons. Our weapon is our brain. So our body starts preparing. Our breathing gets more shallow. Again, to try to circulate oxygen as fast as possible. Our, our blood starts rushing to our face. You feel hot. Our ears also feel hot. Um, at the same time, our, our large muscle group starts getting um, blood flow. But our fingers and toes becomes a bit cold. That's why people feel this clammy kind of feeling. 
um, also our mouth starts to become dry because digestion slows down. It slows down because it's not needed at that point. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the things that happen in the fight-flight reaction. Okay, so right. the thing is, depends what reaction happens, depends on what our resources are at the moment. So for example, if the threat is something that we can face, for example, it's a baby saber-toothed tiger, it might be a fight reaction. Okay, but if it's like a, a very adult, large saber-toothed tiger, you're like, okay, uh, I don't have my spear with me, I better, better flee. Okay, so that's kind of how we chose. But in, in trauma, it's in a way, it's, it's similar, but there's some differences. So for example, if you're undergoing that's a, a traumatic event and the fight response kicks in, what you will experience is your jaw getting tense, your jaw clenching, your teeth grinding, your shallow breathing. And over a period of time, right, what happens if this, uh, resp uh, these responses continue is you start to feel maybe a lot of anger, resentment towards other people, um, feel maybe very critical of others. There's a lot of critical thoughts. You feel that other people are wrong. You notice that over time, the impact is you might be picking fights with other people, talking loudly, shouting, bullying. So these kinds of behaviors happens if kind of trauma is uh, is a very natural response. But let's say the trauma is not processed over time. These are some of the responses that can happen in the fight mode. The next one is flight mode. Okay, So flight mode is when your resources, the threat is bigger than your resources. You need to get out of there. You start. Your heart is still racing. You feel tension. You feel sick in your belly. You might feel more sensitive to touch. You're maybe looking around for cues like, okay, where can I run to escape? Uh, you feel anxiety. You feel fear. The thoughts are all about, I need to get out of here. I can't focus. My mind is blank. And how this looks like, let's say, in our kind of daily life is maybe you notice that you avoid conflict or if there's a fight happening, let's say your parents are arguing or somebody is raising their voice at you, you tend to keep quiet, kind of look down, you know, mm. change the subject. Okay, I don't want to talk about this right now. You move away. Or if some, something is happening, uh, let's say with your friends, you might ghost them. So these are some examples of the flight reaction. Right. Now, now, the thing is, we are talking... You know, Sorry, Doctor, yes. I mean, can I just ask her something here? Um, so memory and trauma is totally different. What do you mean by memory and trauma? Like a memory, like, you know, like example, like a, a death um, when that happened during a childhood. So it's like a very bad memory or something, a memory that is within a person. So how do we, how do we differentiate whether it's a trauma or memory that, that, that I'm thinking of? That could be a trauma or can we classify that that is a trauma, not a memory? So I think the difference is then how you experience yeah. it in your body and mm -hmm. how it impacts your life. So right. if it's something that is traumatic, there will be a profound effect. So there will mm -hmm. be an effect. It, there will be an impact in your sense of self. It will be impact in your relationships. You'll feel it in your body. Yeah. With yeah. terms of memories, mm -hmm. um, the memories can be traumatic. Like losing somebody, especially when you're very long, it can be very traumatic. And that memory... Mm -hmm. Um, especially if it's still in the amygdala, it's still it's still not processed properly, it can still be traumatic or it can be something that, okay, you know what, this was very traumatic for me. I lost my dad. I feel very sad. I feel the grief. I feel the mm -hmm. loss. But I choose to kind of shove it into the cupboard. And when I talk about my dad again to my friends and stuff, I might feel sad, might feel lost, but I don't feel this level of, oh my God, this is a threat. I need to fight or I need to flee or I'm going to go through some other responses as well. So the way you respond to it is different. It doesn't feel like right. a threat. So now everybody responds it very differently. And uh, the level of trauma, it also depends on what they have went through. So there's no a standard. That's what we can um, actually from here. But you know, doctor, also when we're talking about the myth, uh, misconceptions mm -hmm. about trauma response, mm -hmm. how do we take it from here? Okay. Let me, I mean, I haven't finished uh, talking about some of the comments. I've only talked about the fight or flight, but, but let, me, yeah. let me continue with that a little bit more. Sure. So the fight or flight is, is, is kind of the first steps. But the thing is, what happens, right, if you can't flee? You okay. can't escape. You're stuck. You can't escape. And your resources, you don't have the resources to fight the threat. For example, if you are being uh, beaten by a parent as a child, mm. I'm three years old. My father is, is beating the hell out of me because, you know, I was noisy. I was just being mm -hmm. a child. I was just playing. What can I do? I can't escape. 
there's nowhere mm-hmm. to go. Um, my mom is not helping me. So one way, another mode is called freeze. This is the mode where to protect y- your mind, um, you leave your body. You feel the sense of numbness. There's nothingness, there's detachment, there's even feelings of um, dissociation. And how this is experienced in the body is that there's a slower heart rate, your voice becomes monotone, almost robotic, speech is flat. Um, and what kind of behaviors you might see when this person grows up and be an adult, um, or even you know older over time is the person might uh, abuse substances, alcohol, um, maybe to feel, maybe dare, um, maybe uh, some kind of uh, daring activities. It might be binge watching TV, doing something mindlessly. Even in flight mode, when somebody feels a fast heart rate, they might, let's say, binge eat or, you know, um, attempt to soothe those feelings to go into the freeze mode. Right. These are some kind of behaviors. And your thoughts when you're in the freeze mode is kind of just blank, just darkness mm-hmm. or blank. Uh, you, might, you might feel, there might be some like fillers in your head, intrusive thoughts or nonsense things like words, pictures or songs. Uh, but generally, it's the state of kind of, I'm frozen. Right. And in this mode... Uh, is when uh, with that feeling that we get when we are faced with a threat and we, we procrastinate. This is the mode that actually is activated when we're procrastinating. Right. Yeah. So that is the freeze mode. The last one is the fawn mode. So this tends to happen if the trauma is longer term, like with child abuse or domestic abuse, or sexual abuse. Um, basically, right, in order, you, you can't, in order to kind of get yourself out, you can't, you can't leave. The only thing you can do is kind of lessen the blow. So you start to people please. That's why it's called mm-hmm. fawn. You start to people please. Uh, you start to become very vigilant to the cues around you. So for example, if you grew up in a household with a lot of angry parents, you should know that one, let's say if the, the parent is coming and doing <clears throat> something like that, you'll yeah. know, okay, father is angry right now. I better go and hide. Um, you know, I better make sure that I'm okay. Right. Or mother comes home, slams the bed, you know, okay. That means that yeah, she's angry. I better figure out how to please her. So the person will start maybe trying to please their parents. For example, oh, oh, Papa, you're very angry. Oh, here, I made you a cup of tea. You know, enjoy your tea. How is your day? Let me massage you. And often this people pleasing is above and beyond the person's needs. So the person will be very hypervigilant and focus on the other person ensure right. that their mood is stable so the person is quite disconnected for themselves they feel very anxious the heart rate is very fast um they have a lot of worries and thoughts about how the other person might feel how to placate the other person a lot of overthinking sometimes to think about what does that action mean what does that mood mean uh yeah and, and so these are some common experience other common emotion and, and experiences that is across all kind of four modes is there's a loss of um appetite, sleep problems, feelings of shame, feelings of anxiety, fear. Um, These are all common kind of feelings uh, across all the four modes, the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Wow. (laughs) You know, Doctor, and and, and it's quite a, not surprise, but to see that it also affects the emotions and the sleep pattern, the appetite, and the way you will be social with people, you know, the whole thing just uh, changes everything, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally, because it it, it will it will um, affect your whole life. And you can see how trauma can affect relationships, right? You can see right. that somebody has undergone trauma, especially when it's long. Um, it's a hard time connecting or trusting other people. Or people choose uh, relationships that reenact the past abusive ones because it's familiar. Uh, or maybe somebody who's in a perpetual fight mode is quite reactive, defensive. And you can see also how it affects an individual. Because when all these uh, responses are being activated, you tend to feel very powerless. You might feel ashamed. You might think, this is me. Uh, I'm There's something wrong with me. I'm out of control. But let me also remind everybody that if you're under, if, if any of these responses that you know we're, we've brought up here today um, reminds you of experiences you're going through let me remind you this is not you at all there's nothing wrong with you this is actually your body and your mind responding the way it should to terrible abnormal events like trauma right wow hey you know you know doctor um just a quick question here as well Hmm. does this trauma 
can affect any age group or is it only affects during the childhood so it can affect you at any time at any age uh, trauma that tends to happen when you are younger or more vulnerable will tend to have let's say a bigger response or a bigger impact just because we don't have as much emotional psychological physical res- resources right and is there any particular age group that we're looking at below 10 will be more higher to fall into a trauma if it's such an incident or is it like you know as you become like 18 20 you will be able to manage it is there a certain age group that you use or is um, is something so that we, we are not immune for example i give you an example okay today today if let's say i leave this podcast today and i go down the road and let's say uh, somebody grabs my back somebody uh, you know grabs my back and punches me in the face I'm not going to be immune to a traumatic response. It's a normal human response. I'm going to feel very jittery. I'm going to feel very scared. I'm going to cry. I'm going to feel like it's not safe. I'm going to think twice before I come to this location. Mm-hmm. I'm not immune, even as right. an adult, right? And as a child, but 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 let's say, for example, if I am faced with let's say a shouting adult, let's say I go and buy, uh, I'm queuing in line to buy, you know, the latest uh, copy. The most popular copy. Uh, I'm queuing in line, and somebody cuts my queue, and then I go, "Excuse me, sir. You know, you cut my queue, and the person, you know, who do you think you are? You know, and makes a racist comment or something right. like that." But because I'm an adult, I can go like, "Look, I, I was in line first. I need you to step out of the way. I can advocate for myself." But let's hmm. say if that happens to a child, somebody comes and shoves the child and say, "Like, get out of the way," and it's an adult, not not two children. The child may just move away, cry, hide. Because they don't right. have the resources to be able to deal with it, mm-hmm. so they're more vulnerable. Same with an elderly person. If this happened to an elderly person, because they may be more vulnerable, more fragile, they may not have the resources to deal with it. Wow! So situation changes. There's no particular age group. Yeah. 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 All right, doctor. So we will go to the next question, which is uh, we're looking at the earlier on. We talked about the three myths or misconceptions about the uh, trauma responses. Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, so there are a number of of myths and uh, misconceptions about trauma. I think the top one I keep I hear from my clients and other people, right, is that people feel like if they were to undergo trauma and they have some of the responses that I shared before, like disconnection, feeling angry, feeling fearful, um, people pleasing, they think they are weak. Right. So they go through a traumatic event. Some. Over a period of time, long-term sexual abuse, uh, uh, you know, uh, multiple events, they think they are weak. But having these responses has nothing, nothing, nothing at all to do with weakness. Um, you feel powerless and ashamed because the control has been taken away from you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that saddens me the most when I hear people saying that. Oh, I've been through this uh, traumatic. You know, uh, my cousin used to abuse me when I was younger. Uh, I should have stood up. I should have said no. I should have done something. I'm weak. I'm like, come on, you're four years old. When he took, uh, let's say that ruler and you you beat your your buttocks until it was red. What can you do as four years old? You're just mm-hmm. out of your diapers. Right. You know the fact that you are still standing here, talking to me, and suggests strength. The fact that you somehow got yourself out of it, and and then you you learn from it, right? You you're probably never going to do this to another child. That suggests strength. So that's the top mis one of the top misconceptions that the person who has traumatic responses or undergoes trauma is weak. Okay, okay? that's the first one. The second one is sometimes people think right that only big events are traumatic. So people will say, oh, but I didn't undergo a tsunami. Um, why would I have trauma? Oh, I didn't go into a car accident. Uh, you know, uh, nobody died in my life. You know how how come I'm experiencing these kind of experiences? Why do I feel anxious every day? Why do I feel like sensory overload? I need to shut down. No, the thing is, right? It's not really big events that are only traumatic. Trauma can result from a range of experience, including seemingly smaller events. It's kind of like the straws that break the camelbacks. Okay, example: if I grow up with very critical parents. One time, one time your parent loses their temper at you. That's fine. It, it happens to all of us. Um, but let's say every day you come home, you hear, "Oh, you're so stupid. You're ugly. Are you? You're so fat. You know, you're such a loser." Every day over a period of time, 
you hear you or you're in an environment where there's a lot of noise not safety um it may seem like like they're no big deal but actually mm -hmm. they are it accumulates over time it's a cumulative effect um you will see this in let's say people who undergo systemic racism poverty um and what's more important right is the person's subjective experience of the event that is the thing that determines the impact on the individual not how big or small the event is right. because somebody can go through let's say like we've all just been through a huge collective trauma COVID, and now mm -hmm. we're, we're going through vicarious trauma when we look at all the things that ha that's happening um in, in palestine the gaza strip right. right so we're all going through that as well um and these kind of things add up so it's not just big events it can be cumulative events over time it can be small events it can be mix of big and small it's what what happens is your subjective experience is the one that determines right um no. and the last myth um i hear this a lot and i think you, you even brought it up earlier that mm -hmm. sometimes we, the myth is that after you've been through a traumatic event you're broken you can never heal that's it you know, you're going to be this way forever. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Yes, trauma is life altering. It will, it will change your life and you'll be through even a small traumatic. It will change your life because that's what it's supposed to do. You're supposed to learn from the trauma and there is suffering. There is suffering. However, there's also op opportunity for growth and healing. So after you've been through a traumatic event, when you take care of yourself, when you have support and people around you support, you you can heal and you can grow and learn um let me let me give you um a, a very common a common one that happens to a lot of people so i think um a, a lot of us go through uh, generations where we are uh, scolded uh, that the belief was punishment and scolding but all this punishment and scolding kind of form this voice in our head that is very critical yeah but yeah. let's say now as parents people who undergo that may think like you know what i don't want to scold my children i want to be kind to them i want to show them compassion okay never mind they they they, they got like uh i'm not so focused on getting 99 percent fine they got 70 percent. they tried their best this is the growth and change that happens sometimes after trauma mm -hmm. you know or if you can think of um uh, somebody who let's say who is let's say gone through a traumatic event and one of the responses was to binge eat of course if you binge eat you will gain weight right and one of That's the right. events after that the growth is i start to exercise and i wonder if you've also experienced that in your line of work that you see people who've actually gone through traumatic events and they're trying to recover they're trying to heal they're trying to take care of themselves so they start exercise they start to you know care for themselves mm -hmm. All for just turning inwards to them, and uh, you know, it's it's a period of time that they went through, and then um, they that's kind of a phrase that they don't want to be there again. And then once they start changing and doing time things for themselves, they don't even want to talk about it anymore. The past experience is like I'm done with it, and I'm just putting it all over the back, and I'm not even thinking it's a memory, and then just going forward. I mean, I've seen a couple of cases like this before, dog. Yeah, yeah, and exactly like when I mean, you, you, I think you help people, let's say, to build their strength. That's yeah. also building their resilience, and yeah. then you start to grow because you learn things like, oh, actually, I, I, my body is mine. I can take care of it. I can build it. It can be strong. I can run ten kilometers. I can lift. Uh, I don't know what's a heavy weight, fifty kilos, and things yeah. like that. So that's where the right. growth and healing comes as well. So always remember, after a trauma, you are never broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to be fixed. There is a wound and you can be mm -hmm. healed. Right. You know, Doc, um, we, we talk about the responses to trauma. We talk about the misconceptions of uh, trauma responses. Does really trauma heal? Can someone heal from a trauma? Yes, yes. Somebody, yeah, uh, definitely you can heal from trauma. I mean, first thing to share is not all experiences of trauma lead to disorders like PTSD or depression or anxiety, uh, but it can affect us over a period of time. And no two people's response to trauma is exactly alike. Okay, After we've been through, let's say, an event that's traumatic, there's some level of acute distress. For example, if I, like I said, if, if I was uh, mugged, I would feel anxious, I would feel distressed, and that will dissipate over time. Okay, So, First thing to do to heal from trauma is educate yourself about the trauma. 
what your responses are. Look through some of these experiences that we talked about. Say, do you notice that some of the experiences that you're feeling is more like freeze mode? If it's freeze, you notice that you are um, procrastinating a lot or you, uh, your mind is blank or you feel like you need to shut down often. Something that might be more helpful for you to care for yourself is movement, exercise, playing, having fun, for example. So once you educate yourself, you then you know how to care and support yourself. If let's say your common response is agitation, you feel like you're clenching your jaw a lot, like clenching, you're biting down, you go to the dentist, the dentist will ask you, do you grind your teeth? That is a sign that maybe, okay, my response is more fight, I feel agitated, my ears are hot. Might be um, exercise won't be helpful with this, like high intensity exercises mm. may not be helpful. Something right. like breathing, yoga, challenging your thoughts, uh, maybe going to a place where you feel very, very agitated, you might want to go into like a dark room, use a weighted blanket. Um, if you're having sleep difficulties, you want to attend to the sleep. If you're having, let's say, um, difficulties connecting with people, you want to talk to the people and discuss how to support you. Um, if you notice that you're pleasing people, you know, you're thinking ways about other people, um, you might want to set boundaries, kind of teach people how to interact with you safely. Yeah, um, so that's what, that, that, these are some ways that you can do yourself. Of course, with trauma, right, therapy is very important. Um, you, you want to use, you want to find, let's say, a therapist or, or, or go with therapeutic, uh, therapeutic approaches that focuses yeah. more on trauma. So often these therapies address the trauma, allows you the space to talk about the trauma, some education of what is going on for you and teaches you how to regulate the amygdala's response. That is the thing that promotes the healing and recovery. Um, another way of healing, especially if you're a victim of a crime, um, take legal action if you can. Tell your friends, tell people what happened. Um, don't hide it all inside and feel like, oh, this is my fault, I'm ashamed, something's wrong with me. You, you might feel that way, but tell your friends, tell them what you're going through. Tell them if, if your spouse is hurting you at home. And mm -hmm. also remember to have kindness and compassion for yourself. You know, don't look back and go like, Oh, you know, I was so silly. I should have, you know, uh, beaten him. But five years old, or your woman, your husband is is screaming at you. What can you do? Right. You know, be kind to yourself and recognize that healing is a gradual process with ups and downs. You know, build your resilience um, by taking care of yourself. Put yourself as the priority. That is how you can heal from from trauma. Once you recognize that you are important you can heal and put yourself as priority. Right. And uh, doctor, we're talking about healing here. And um, when we say heal, uh, you know, everybody works differently. You know, everybody has a different limitations. Um, is there a minimum period that we are looking at? If someone has said, hey, you know, you got to heal from a trauma. Is there like, okay, minimum six months. Can we put a number of months there? Or it really depends on the individual and the therapist. It really depends on the individual. I would say not so much about period of time that matters. It's kind of what you do in the period of time. So maybe I can share what being healed from trauma looks like. I think being healed from trauma looks like you feel more grounded. Your nervous system is more regulated. You don't feel so jittery all the time. There's some calmness. You notice that you sleep better. Mm -hmm. You notice that your interactions with other people feel more free that you're not holding something at the back, you're not thinking about, let's say, what other people think of you all the time. Right. Maybe you feel more light, you feel more playful. Um, you can, um, you know, if you talk about something that happens to you, you're not like totally breaking down and weeping. You can kind of go, okay, this happened to me. This is my story. And I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm, I'm here. And that, again, that process depends on the intensity of the trauma, the duration of the trauma, what mm -hmm. are some of the things that happen? Because one way we can cope with trauma is abuse substances. So if you drink alcohol, you take drugs, you need to attend to that first. So it depends how complex things are. It can be, uh, it can be a few months. It can be a few years. Could we also say, Doc? Um, I know I'm I'm throwing some questions just out of that. Um, you know, when we talk about trauma, we talk about healing. Um, is there a period, I mean, of course we said there's no period of time, but you know, we are just putting an, it really depends on individual, 
But can mm. we say that all of us have went through some sort of trauma in our lifetime? Yes. All yes. of us. Yes. Yes. We are human. Like I mentioned, trauma is well abnormal event. It's a human experience. Yes. I've experienced trauma. I experienced small traumas. We call small T's, big traumas. Yeah. Hmm. And and is it possible to find out what will affect us or what has affected us? Or are we in denial? So I think you you would know. Um, so generally, yes, denial is a way of coping. It's actually mm -hmm. the flight of freeze response. Okay. So for example, right, if you notice a certain pattern that doesn't work well for you, for example, in a workplace, you feel like when somebody makes your your boss gives you a suggestion, you feel like, oh no, I feel so anxious of this meeting. You know, what if my boss mm -hmm. doesn't like me? You know, what does she think of me? Um, you know what, I'm just gonna like make myself like as small as possible during meetings. That might be due to a traumatic response. So in our session, right, what we'll do is understand like where did you understand what they're thinking? For example, a client is thinking, you know what, I, I just want to make myself as small as possible because I don't want my boss to see me and I don't want my boss to be angry at me. Where do you get the idea from that your boss is angry at you just because you disagree? Mm -hmm. The person might think back, actually I got the idea from, you know, my grandfather. If I was to disagree, he used to tell me like, shut up, girls shouldn't speak, sit in the corner. Right. And I'd be like, that is a traumatic event. And you may not see the link, but, you know, undergoing through talking about these events, talking about feelings that emerge in your day-to-day, Kind of brings back some of the things that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it can be things like um, so. It can it can be, for example, like um, you you might. So I, I I can share maybe an event that I've been through. So for me, like I don't like um, you might you might not like certain things. It might be the reason of it. it might be a reason a traumatic thing that I've been through. For example, um, I was hit in the face quite badly by a ball. So I do not like playing sports there balls. Also, mm -hmm. if my children come up to me and I like, try to like, you know, come and hit me in the face, I don't like it. And my reaction is quite like, you know, quite a fight reaction. Like, no, like stay away from me. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. reason why I react in that way is because I've been hit in the face and it hurt my right. nose quite badly. So that that is kind of a traumatic response. But when I realize, ah, the reason why I react this way is because of what happened to me in the past, that's where the healing begins. And I know when, let's say, if I'm going to uh, play tennis or whatever, I know to kind of prepare myself. Like, okay, uh, yes. Or maybe if my children are coming and tell me, no, don't hit me in the face. You can, you know, if you really want to like play, you can tap my shoulders, you can yep. kiss me on the cheek, that kind of thing. So that's where the healing is. Right. Wow. So the body is just an uh, amazing mechanism to protect us from the past you know it's, it's not more like a rehearsal but i think it's more like a a protection bubble that we are putting around us and immediately we know how to respond to it um and also the viewers who are and uh, listeners who are watching this there's a copy with vans and today we are at uh, 9 p.m live um you can also send us your questions we can definitely will answer that uh, today's topic is responses to trauma and today with me is my guest speaker, Dr. Anita Sundendani. And uh, we are going to go into the next question itself. Uh, doctor, we are going to go into support system. We talked about the myth. We talked about the responses to trauma. We even talked about the healing. Um, how much of this uh, support of the family and our friends that you know, I know you talked about it. You know, we have to tell our friends, I mean, the trusted ones or the close ones, what exactly is happening to us. But um Sometimes when we talk to our friends and loved ones, they may not be the expert or the therapist or the psychologist. So they may give another five or seven of their experiences, you know. Um, will that be great? Or is this a first level of contact or first level of communication before seeking the experts? Yeah. So there are lots of things um, we can do as a friend or a family member. Um, and of sharing our own experience when somebody is talking about trauma as a first instance may not be that helpful. What's more helpful, right, if it's the person listens empathetically? Kind of just let the person talk. Because remember this, when the person is coming to share with you about their traumatic event, they have to kind of rustle up some courage. It's scary to kind of even talk about what you're going mm. through. So make that space for them. 
actively listen. Don't impose your judgments and opinions. Don't be, ayah, why never fight him off? You know, or something like that. No, reserve your comments to yourself. Being heard, just being heard and being understood is a powerful form of support because the person who's been through that event doesn't feel alone. That's, that's important. Nothing you can do is if you know that people around you has been through trauma or you notice trauma responses, is educate yourself. Learn about the effects of trauma to understand what your loved one is going through. Don't blame them for, for their experiences. Read books. There's so much information out there about trauma. There's, there's, there's two good books that I recommend. One book is The Body Keeps the Score by uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk and Be the Love That You Seek by Nicole Lepera. So she hers is more about childhood long-term events. Uh, Bessel kind of talks about different types of trauma. Research. Go to Instagram. Go and listen to people talking about their own trauma. There's lots of resources out there. Uh, nothing you can do is respect the person's boundaries. If you notice that the person needs some space, they need space to uh, process what they're going through, let them take the lead. Don't pressure them into disclose what they want. You know, don't pressure them. Tell me what happened to you. You know, then what he do? Then what he do? You, you're not interrogating for a police. It's not a police interrogation. Respect mm -hmm. their boundaries. Just be there. They will share with you how much they want to share. And never underestimate the importance of practical assistance. Sometimes you cannot do anything emotionally. That's okay. Just support practically. If you notice, right, you go to your friend's house, the dishes are all piling up. Drain hair. There's hair in the sink, the drain in the toilet. Um, house is a mess. Just clean up. Just clean up. You know, send food, uh, cook something. Or even, let's say, if you notice somebody who's been through birth trauma, that's a very common one. You go and visit your, your friend who's just given birth, and you mm -hmm. notice that she's not doing well. Her birth is very traumatic. You have to have some interventions or emergency C-section. You probably know there might be some trauma. Your friend's not quite right. Um, just help, you know. I say, you know what, I'm going to watch the child. You go in and bathe. Or you know what, I can watch, um, I, you can watch the child for an hour, or I will, I will pick up the dishes, I will send some food, um, you know, think any any kind of practical help. Right. In fact, I think um, the most help people can offer is kind of daily practical things. You can even be, you know what, let me call, let me help you call and make an appointment for you to cut your hair. Let me just do that, let me just take that. Um, it's kind of the stuff that we do after somebody has died. You know, it's very similar that we try, you said, you know what, um, leave this with me, I'll do it. Very practical assistance. It might also be, if you notice the person is a, a victim of a crime, you might want to give them resources. Like, I'll go with you to the police station to make a report or help you engage with community professionals, like aware, I'll come with you. And the last one is encourage people to seek professional help, especially if you know that the kind of support is beyond your resources. You don't have to take that upon you. Because then you yourself might feel resentful, might feel like, I want to stay away from this person, which is not mm -hmm. fair to the both of you, right? So offer, yeah. maybe you can offer to research mental health professionals or accompany them to appointments. Tell them like, you know, I really care about you. I think you might need some uh, professional help with what you've been through. Let me help you make a call. Uh, here's the number for Alliance Counseling. You know, uh, you can send an email. I can do that for you. And... That's, that's crucial in the healing process. And, and, and these are some of the things that your friends or family members can do. You know, Doctor, um, you know, getting help um, nowadays seems like weakness. But of course, people are now overcoming it, right? No, if I need help, uh, it's not weakness, it's my strength. People are coming forward. But if someone is going through some kind of a trauma or some kind of a psychological issues they are facing, uh, depressed, no mood to you know socialize. There's not much of communications, losing weight, no much of entertainment, and so and so forth. The list just keeps on going. But how one should identify, or the loved one should identify that okay, it is the right time to consider to get help for you, you know. And uh, sometimes some some might not welcome the help. Say no, why must I see a psychologist? I'm not so and so you know i to see a psychologist because this kind of a barrier they have or they might also worry what others may say or see if i seek help what is yes. your take in this though so um like what you said right seeking help right is not a weakness at all it's a sign of bravery and a sign that you care for yourself i mean we wouldn't think twice right like if i have a cold i have a cough i wouldn't think twice 
I'll go to the doctor and get a checkup. In fact, we'll ask the doctor, okay, check up, check whether I have COVID, check further, do even more checkups, right? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't think twice. Mental wellness is the same thing. So when the right the right time to consider help is the, the at any point of time where you feel you would like help or support. If you feel I would like to speak to somebody for support, I want maybe just to talk to somebody just to kind of let out what's in my head, that's the right time. And if the friend or family member that you're suggesting, you know, here you can, uh, maybe these are the resources, and a friend is saying, you know what, not for me, it's okay. I remember, remember, respect their boundaries. They may not be ready. That's okay. Leave the card with them. This happened to me many times that I recommend to my clients or, or, or recommend, I just kind of go, you know what, this is the contact details, this is the card, whenever you're ready. So when they're ready, they can just kind of be prepared. If that makes sense. Right. So definitely seeking help is not a weakness anymore. I mean, that's what a lot of... It's uh, never been a weakness, not just anymore. It's never ever been a weakness. (laughs) But, but you know, dog, I mean, of course, as a loved one, right? You know, they might be over-empowered and they say, no, do this kind of remedy, go for a walk. Or you're crying, you know, let me just cheer you up. Let's go for drinking. So they might give their expertise, like what you mentioned, but um, the right time to get the help is very, very crucial because any delay can be, you know, it can go into a serious level so that we may never know. But in any case, um, if let's say if they want to get help, where they can get help, Doc? From Alliance. Yeah. So, right. um, So if it's specific to trauma, right, um, there's a... For support for trauma, there's some specific things to look out for. You need to choose a therapist who can work in trauma, who has the training for trauma-informed care. So you want to look out for the words of trauma-informed care, maybe somebody who practices EMDR, uh, schema therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy for trauma. At Alliance Counseling, we have many such therapies because as an organization, we are very trauma-focused. Just like what we, we spoke about earlier, trauma is, we all have experiences of trauma. Um, we have many such therapists, including myself. Um, in general therapy, when you go through for any mental health, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, any kind of mental kind of uh, distress, therapy gives you a safe space to talk about this, um, gives you support, you know, education of what you're being through. It also helps you kind of process the traumatic memories. So it, it stops being stuck in a very emotional state. It becomes more kind of a thinking, planning, more kind of a routine memory from your prefrontal cortex. Yeah. So the thing is, if you feel like seeing a counselor or therapist is too soon, you can start by using some apps. There's some very good apps out there like Calm, Intellect, Mindfulness Coach. You can start by just following uh, therapy clinics on Instagram. Alliance, we have an Instagram page. Or there's lots of of people who who do give very good mental health content. Um, You can even think about um, you know what you need right now. It might be that um, you're not ready, and that's okay. Um, for example, uh, you know, uh, Vance, what would you tell your clients if, let's say, they're looking to make a change, they want to get more fit, they want to get healthy? I mean, what would you tell your clients? I mean, the the most important thing is to get started. But of course, um, what actually inspire them to do that, right? I mean, there must be a kind of a situation that they may have went through. Maybe they have pondered it for more than a year. Or maybe they have stopped it because of certain obstacles or financial issues. Oh, there's a lot of various. But knowing what is the best for them, that makes the, their journeys going to be very fruitful for them. So if someone say, hey, you know what? I want to get started in exercising. I want to look good. I want to look fit. I want to change my life. Uh, I want to be the hot 10 uh, bots you know, uh, in the upcoming magazine. Then, of course, let's get started up. It's a lifestyle slow steps but the most important thing is to take the first step of it so that that is a whole key for success exactly and that's the same thing with mental well-being take a step the step can be something small it can be today i will follow an instagram link it can be today i will watch this podcast that is a first step the next step could be okay let me ask for recommendations that is also a step it can be a bigger jump, like tomorrow I make an appointment and I see my therapist for, just think about one appointment first. If it works, I meet for a longer period of time. Exactly. Mental well-being is the same. The first step. So, Doc, if uh, any listeners or viewers want to contact um, Alliance Counselling, how they can go about? 
Um, so you can reach us um, at admin at alliancecounseling.com.sg and uh, we have two um, outlets. One is at Cluny Court and where I'm at, I'm at uh, East Coast. Okay. The Bukit Timah so Road, um, it's also another location, right? Yes, yes. Uh, not uh, So that's Cluny Court. So okay. we've got in Cluny Court, that's 501 Bukit Timah Road. Yeah. Um, and our other outlet, let me just pull up the address and where I'm sure. based, I'm based in the East Coast. Okay. Um, is at... Um, Right, one so two one Upper East Coast Road. Okay, one two one East Coast Road. Okay. Yes, one two one Upper East Coast Road. Uh, zero two zero one. Um, our contact number is six four six six eight one two zero. Eight one two zero. Okay, yeah, there you go. So the number is six four six six eight one two zero. So you yeah. can actually contact them. Uh, if you do need help, help is not weakness anymore. It's about strength. It's about bravery. That's what we talked about. Uh, Doc, we are already in uh, 50 minutes of our podcast today. Uh, of course, we talked about the myth, the trauma responses, the the way to, you know, what what's the healing, you know, this now we know that the healing depends on individuals and so, so forth. But we're going to go a little bit more into yourself right now. So what motivated you to become a clinical psychologist? Wow, well, I think it goes way back. Um, so I'm somebody who is quite, uh, I've got high level of empathy. I consider myself to have this personality trait called an empath. So I can quite easily pick up, you know, how people are feeling, how they're doing. And once you have this knowledge about how people are feeling and doing, you'll realize that there's a lot of suffering in this world, mm -hmm. right? That most of the emotions we feel are not great emotions. That sadness, anger, jealousy, envy. So I can... When I was younger, I could tune into some of these uh, feelings. And over time, I realized that if I provide support to other people, uh, you know, people do get better. They feel connected, you know, they feel supported. So naturally, uh, at first, I thought this was being a brain surgeon or brain doctor because I didn't have the language for it. Um, and children, we will always know what a doctor is because you have to go for regular checkups, but you don't know what mental health is. Over time, I think when I was in my teens, uh, that's when I realized actually the correct word for this is psychologist. So somewhere around my secondary school that I kind of felt like, okay, I want to be a psychologist. Um, I yeah. learned the different types of psychologists and, and that, that's kind of what motivated me. Wow. Okay. That's to get to know you a little bit more of you. And what is the best part of your job that you love doing? Well, best part of my job. Um, there's lots of things uh, good about my job. Um, so I think the thing that touches me the most is when um, somebody who has been struggling for a while or, you know, feeling that they're not good enough and they start doing something and they come into the session, I can just see the difference. They're walking like taller, they're, they're beaming with pride. Um, you know, they tell me that I'm so pleased with myself or I did this differently today. Um, Wow, I tell you, my heart, my heart melts when I see that. That's I uh, go like, okay, this is why I do what I do. Um, because it can be tough, you know, holding people's feelings um, and being there for them. But this is the thing that I love doing. Um, that that's the thing. Yeah. Lovely, doctor. I mean, it's a great conversation with you for the past fifty-four minutes, but we are not letting you go off that soon. <laughs> We got one more question for you. Currently, we are engaged. Uh, this is your Vans here, host for Kopi Advance with Dr. Anita Sudani, clinical psychologist from Alliance Counseling and NUS. So we have one more particular question for her. But if you're hearing this and watching this right now, uh, please do share and like. We are live at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Doctor, for last question for the day, but uh, what advice will you give to someone who's struggling with mental health? issues but doesn't know where to turn up for help yeah so if you're struggling just know that there are many places for help um, like I mentioned earlier you can start with apps like calm intellect um, if you think about what kind of difficulties you're going through if you're going through a traumatic event a uh, victim of a let's say sexual assault you can go through aware if you are lgbt um, you have encountered, let's say, some kind of abuse, there's Uga Chaga, you can, you know, come 
for us at Alliance at uh, Upper East Coast Road, um, if you're thinking, okay, I want to go to public health, you can get a referral from the polyclinic. Yeah, so there's lots of places you can, you know, read articles online. Um, there's lots and lots of places to go for help. I think it's not really the issue of where to go for help. It's just kind of sometimes is that I'm not sure if I'm ready for help. Yeah. And like what we were discussing earlier, um, start somewhere. It's okay. Whatever you feel is the most doable, the little step, start there and, and then go. Yeah. And then look look at different, um, if you're at the point where you feel like you want to seek a therapist, read about the therapist, you know, read their profiles. If it's on the private practice, their profiles, what they do will be there. If it's you're going to the public health system, uh, all hospitals in Singapore has uh, psychological wellness clinics. IMH, CGH, all uh, thing, you know, uh, you can speak to them about what your needs are and be matched with the therapist. Um, family service centers have counselors. Um, there are a lot of uh, social organizations like AWARE, Ugachaga, health support. Um, in doubt, you know, we can always um, email any therapy clinic really and ask. You can email us at Alliance. Tell us what, what's going on for you and we will try to support you. If you're in school, speak to your school counselor. Lovely, Doctor. I mean, there's an amazing uh, 56 minutes of your precious time on a busy day on Wednesday. So taking that time off and uh, spending um, the time, the quality time and um, on the podcast of Responses to Trauma. Thank you so much. Um, any tip of the day, Doc, before we end this podcast for viewers and uh, our listeners? I think the main thing is um, just remember if you go through any of the experiences with talked about today these responses they are normal you are okay there's nothing wrong with you you're just going through a hard time you're just coping in the way that your body is designed to cope um just have kindness grace and compassion for yourself like you would do other people and that's my my biggest tip to, to people Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much. And another Starbucks, if not Joe and Doe, coming up next uh, will be our second coffee uh, coffee session. Uh, maybe a tea, depending. <laughs> it doesn't have to be caffeinated beverages, but yes. yeah, yeah, coffee, water, coffee. Water. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe the viewers can recommend which the best coffee in Singapore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for another great conversation with you, Doctor. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me. Um, and we are viewers at Kopi Events and uh, viewers who are watching this we will be at at Spotify Apple Podcasts and you can watch this video and audio as in YouTube Facebook and LinkedIn as well thank you so much doctor we will stay connected and we will be in touch again yeah thanks so much for having me today Vance um, and thank you everyone for taking the time out of your schedules to listen to us you know please uh, if if after this, you have any comments or questions, please feel free to ask. We are here. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Thanks. Thank you, Doctor. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. So that is Dr. Anita Asundani, um, clinical psychologist from Alliance Counseling and NUS. So it's um, today's topic is all about responses to trauma. Um, we talked about what is trauma, what is the three myth of trauma, and also the healing part as well. And also to find out about Dr. Anita's um, psychology, you know, why she got interested to become a psychologist and so and so forth. But I think uh, overall it was a great uh, experience. So viewers, if you do answer that as well uh, in the comment section, or you can watch this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and socials, YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. This is your Vance host for tonight. And um, adios, amigo. I'll catch you soon on the next podcast. Till then, bye-bye.